Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Two Under, Ben Hogan Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me tonight on Next on the T. I'm really excited about tonight's show. I've got four great guests who are among the most influential people in the game, and I get to share them with you tonight. My first guest is going to be Srixon, Cleveland Golf and Zexio Territory Manager, and one of the most knowledgeable instructors in the game, and that's Perry French. And I don't know if anybody out there is more thorough and more detailed in their knowledge of how clubs work in conjunction with our swings and how those clubs interact with the ground and how they can help us produce better results than Perry French. The Srixon, Cleveland, and Zexio brands have a lot of new innovations out this year, so we'll talk about those. Plus, we'll get some playing tips from Perry as well. So excited to have him back as part of the show, and he'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a visit from Craig Can. Craig was one of the original hosts and lead. Craig was one of the original lead hosts and play-by-play guys for the Golf Channel when it got started back in 1995. So we'll talk about that and his coverage of the majors, particularly the Masters, since it's coming up in just a few weeks. Craig is also a host on Sirius XM's PGA Tour radio channel alongside John Cook on Monday night. So we'll talk about their show. So really excited to have Craig as part of the show, and he'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll wrap up tonight's show with a pair of great instructors, Shane LeBaron and Stan Utley. Shane is one of the top instructors in both Arizona and Illinois, his winter and summer locations. Stan is annually ranked by Golf Digest as one of the top instructors in the game. So I'm going to pick their brains and help you get your rust off your swings Plus, take some strokes off your score in this short game, so around the greens and on the putting surface. So a lot to get into with both of those guys. They'll be here about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. You guys know I always like to start the show by reminding you about the great shows that both Mitch and Matthew Lawrence have. But first off, Happy birthday wishes go out to both of those guys because for those of you who aren't aware, they're twins, so they celebrated their birthday yesterday. So fellas, it's an honor and a privilege to call you friends. Thank you for not only being great friends, but great mentors to me as well. I love you both dearly and hope you had a great day. Shout out to Matthew as well for being named Media Representative of the Year by the Kentucky section of the PGA for his show Backspin Golf that my first guest, Perry French, is a big part of as well. Congratulations, Matthew. It's an honor well-deserved, and you and the show are both fantastic. Please make sure to tell all your friends, folks, to continue to support both of their shows. Mitch's show is called Talking Golf Getaways. You can stream it online at GolfTripX.com, and that's the letter X, so GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Mitch and his co-host Darren Bunch take you around the U.S. and Canada to some of the great places that you can go stay and play. Plus, they let you know about some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. Again, go online to GolfTripX.com and check out their podcast. 
And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Take a listen to our friend Steve Rondinero about what's going on up there. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20 and 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens, and, and you can see it in 360 degrees. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf, and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLake.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place they've got up there and to book your stay as well. Please check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company as well by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their new spring collection out right now, and they've got great new spring sweaters, polos, and pants, all fantastic. And you're going to see Steve Stricker, Miguel Angel Jimenez, and Ernie Els wearing them out on the Champions Tour. Go online to bobbyjones.com and enter the coupon code on the T to save 20% at checkout. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade Sim, featuring the Sim driver designed with a radical new head shape to make the driver both fast and forgiving where you need it most on the downswing. Sim irons with an improved speed bridge and echo dampening system to deliver a distance iron with forge-like feel. And the Sim fairway woods have a low CG to help you hit it higher and the V-Steel TM sole to launch it easier out of any lie. Get fit for Sim throughout your entire bag and experience the effect it's going to have on your entire bag. Check it out at TaylorMade Golf for more information on the all-new Sim family. All right, now back in making his fourth appearance with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Srixon, Cleveland Golf and Zexio Territory Manager and Class A Teaching Professional Perry French. Along with all of that, he's also a weekly partner with my friend Matthew Lawrence on his show Backspin Golf, which you guys hear me talking about every week here on the show and on social media. For the majority of the year, it's my regular weekly Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time. That should be coming back from hiatus soon. Fingers crossed on that one. You can hear Perry sharing his insights and playing lessons during the first segment of that show every week. And like I mentioned a moment ago, it's some of the best week in and week out information and tips that you're going to hear anywhere on any medium. And I'm very grateful to have him back with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Perry, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, great to be back. Thanks for having me. As, as many of us around the country are finally starting to see some temperatures getting to the point where we can start thinking of at least getting out on the range and perhaps going out and buying new equipment for the year. I mean, your brand, Strixon Cleveland Zexio, featured prominently on the 2020 Golf Digest hot list. Got to make you guys feel really good seeing you seeing uh, reviews like that and promotion like that from Golf Digest. Well, every, every year, you know, Chris, when companies are rolling out products, typically it's a fall roll Of course, we see sometimes at the PGA show, there's a, a typical product or two that kind of makes these companies kind of splash. And, uh, and the Golf Digest hot list is, is very encouraging to see that 
we've gone through the litany of testing for a, a myriad of players. That's the key thing that a lot of people don't know about the Golf Digest Hotlist. They think, well, that's just somebody paying money for them to, to put your product in the, and get the list. And that's not the case at all. Golf Digest does a very in-depth product testing that gives people a chance to really, the, the, the people they put in there to test the product are all across the landscape of player profiles. So it's a good cross-reference to see what our product's doing, how it's performing, and what kind of players it's really appealing to. And that's it's always encouraging. And product is king in, in any sales business, of course, but certainly uh, this crazy golf business, it, uh, it's, it's fun to have a product that gets it going, kind of kicks the season off, and, uh, and people start getting excited and asking you to, to at least try their you know your product and see how it fits their game. So absolutely, uh, that's always fun to get some good 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 gold medals and uh, and all the, the information you can from uh, Golf Digest telling the people how good our products are. Okay, I want to go through some of the great innovations that you guys have for 2020. I want to start with the Cleveland Launcher HB Turbo Driver. Talk about what mm-hmm. what makes that driver so good in a gold medal performer. The Launcher Driver. Number addition number two, this is the second generation of the launcher called Turbo. The first thing that we really did to the driver was find a driver that we managed for players who are looking for game improvement and maximizing speed with their driver game. I know it sounds like, well, doesn't everybody want that? Well, the best players are, are wind up, but they find the club face center a whole lot more often than most of us. And so when you build a golf club, you've got to have that area of impact that can actually keep the ball flight in play, keep the speed up, keep the spin down. And with Launcher, we did that, Turbo Launcher. We put cup-based technology. It's a, it's a different type of design where instead of putting a metal titanium plate into the face and welding it and having more rigid spots on the face, it goes over the entire club head. So the face is a larger trampoline, if you will. That's the key thing. So with players who are not quite as uh, skilled, hit that driver, they're going to get a lot of high-speed ball performance and less loss of distance and less less spinning on that on their miss hits. And that's what causes people to lose a lot of control of their shots is when you start missing the center of the golf club, the ball starts curving more and, of course, it starts spinning more, and that causes that loss of distance. So with Turbo, we've really improved that. We've built it for players who are looking for maximum performance on their miss hits and really gave them a, a drive that keeps the ball speed up. It tests out very strongly as it did when the gold uh, got, has a lot more speed on the on the wood as the mist hit, and that keeps people's drive going out down the fairway a little less in the rough, and um, it's delivering those things uh, across the landscape for players who will probably uh, I'll, I'll give them a handicap range of you know somewhere between you know eight plus handicappers, and I say that because. There's some eight handicappers that don't drive the ball as well as I could, and they might be a little better golfer if they drove the ball more in play. And uh, it really fits a lot of players. I think some some people might think, well, I'm I'm, I'm a little better than that for for Cleveland's driver. It's not. It's a really high performance driver for players who are looking for more of a, a forgiving driver than than most. So let's compare that to what you've got across the other brands. How does it compare to the Strixon? Z785 and Z585s that were highly acclaimed last year. And you've also got the Zexio 11 series. Talk about how those all three compare to one another. The interesting piece of the puzzle is that with the three brands, Cleveland Golf, Strixon Golf, and Zexio Golf, they're all designed products for specific player groups. And then the Strixon phase is really designed off of more of a tour platform, tour design, and more control-driven by the player. The, the driver is very forgiving. Again, cup-face technology is the primary feature on the driver. 
Uh, we're using a higher grade of titanium to keep that uh, keep that ball speed up on the missed so the so the trampoline's larger. Um, but the shape and the design and the center of gravity management are going to be a little different. Most players with higher speeds don't need as much deep CG positioning in the driver or draw bias to get the golf ball into its proper trajectory form. So we have to manage that against the player and also the the profile of the club. Uh, we'll call it slightly draw bias or maybe uh, closed face slightly to create a little better pattern and reduce some of the side spin on the miss hit. So definitely different products. The shaft stories are even stronger, a little bit more pure pro- product with a little, little lower torque to create, again, control and maximize performance for the players who are more skilled higher speed. We, then we flip the coin and go to the other side with the Zexio brand and really build a product line in the ultra-light tech technology story with shaft design and counterbalancing of the weight in the shaft and moving that counterbalance to where it's positioned under the grip with the technology called Weight Plus. We actually put a plug in the back of the grip, a brass plug, about 13, ounce, uh, 13 grams, excuse me, and that allows the, the, the balance point to move up higher. And that feature alone helps deliver a lot more consistency for the player in their transition of the golf club from the backswing to the downswing. Holds their angle, holds their angle, helps them create more leverage, and this will help them increase speed. Zexio brands, ultra-lightweight shafts, are for players with moderate club head speed. So if you're looking for more speed, the only way you can get that is if you can get the golf club as light as you possibly can to create more speed for that player, but also maintaining control. And that is where Zexio targets that player who typically has less than 90 miles an hour of driver speed. There's a lot of players out there in that category. And what we have all skilled players with less than 90 miles an hour who hit the club face three out of 10 times and people who hit it six out of 10 times. But in all cases, what we're seeing is more speed with the club head speed, more ball speed on the, on the impact, and a lot more consistency in the ball flight for those players. And that, to me, is the biggest advantage of where ultralight way technology delivers is that, that the ball fight for those players is just so much more consistent. And, and who wouldn't want to hit the ball with a similar pattern like we see on TV? When you're driving the ball good, the ball fight should look the same, you know, swing, you know tee shot after tee shot. And that's what we, I see certainly in the field. A lot of these players who haven't been able to do that consistently, Zexio brand delivers that. And part of it is that ultra lightweight technology with the shaft designed to, to provide a better um, return of the club to impact. And it's uh it's very unique across all three landscapes, and it's pretty fun to be on the tee line and, and uh, have players come up because really any player who comes up to, the, to hit our product, we have something for everybody, and that's pretty pretty darn nice. So let's talk about irons, and, and the, Cle- the Cleveland Turbo irons look like a great design to me, Perry, particularly for those of us that are struggling hitting our long irons. Talk about the technology you've got in those. Yeah, and the iron line, of course, over the years has evolved from, uh, from, you know, forged muscle back designs that, uh, we grew up playing and, and thought that's what we had to play all the way through. And, and, uh, and thankfully, uh, the, the Carson Storm decided to, to put his engineering deg- degree together and build a cavity back golf club. And, and those started to become the, the way irons were designed. And cavity back golf clubs start bringing in forgiveness on those misfits and allows you to be a little off center, but still maintain distance and control of that shot. So what we've done with that is the next generation from evolving from a blade or a forge type product to a cavity back was technology that was started in the HP series called uh high bore. And that is a hollow construction design. Basically it's like what a metal wood is like. It's hollow. There's no cavity cut out of it. 
So that allows the center of gravity to be managed much more effectively from club to club. So to your point, most players struggle with trajectory when the club starts getting longer and the loft starts getting lower. Three, four, five iron clubs are harder to get into the proper trajectory to land on the green and stop and certainly help them keep the ball and, and control the distance that you're wanting to hit it. So but when you get to the seven, eight, nine pitching wedge, you don't need as much. So we were able to manage the trajectory from pitching wedge all the way through to three iron. And in fact, most companies aren't carrying three irons anymore, as we know. So it's really only a four iron, but it's a strong lofted four iron at 22 degrees. And that gives players a lot more versatility in their long iron with this hollow construction. We've done that with turbo. Again, maximize the face area for mishits to be basically the, not losing much speed at all. So the distance that you get the, you're looking for the ball to go will go that same distance. It might be a little left or right based on where you strike it on the glove face, but you're not going to lose that, that distance, you know, that you're looking for in the shot because of the face technology and the center of gravity management will help keep that ball in a, an initial better trajectory. So very forgiving golf club. It's a lot of players, and certainly those who struggle with their long iron game, construction all the way through from three iron to seven iron, and then breaks off into an eight, nine pitching wedge and gap wedge with a cavity back, I'll call it a more traditional style of cavity, uh, which allows, again, that player to manage the ball flight. So it's uh, two unique products in the iron line to really give players a lot of versatility in what they're trying to do with their, their iron game. And Perry, I got to tell you, I love what Cleveland has done with their wedges for this year with the high toe and the grooves covering the full face of the club. Talk about that, what that can do for us. So that, the, the Cleveland line of wedges, of course, the company was founded by Roger Cleveland with the, 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 emphasis, the emphasis on wedge game, wedge design all the way through. And, and that has been the, the, the moniker all the way through these years. We continue to involve the wedge line. Our family of wedges, as we call them, has, has evolved from a tour wedge to now a full design cavity back with CBX2 and introduction of CBX full face is another step in that direction. And full face is a high toe product. And what that does is the high toe allows more surface area for the golf club to strike the golf ball with when you're in the, the, the shots around the green. We'll call them specialty shots, trouble shots, uh, you know, a high risk reward shot. And with the full face, the grooves go across the entire face pattern. So there's Maximize spin throughout every shot that you're going to take with that, with that club. Now we're doing strictly in high loft, team 64. Again, this is a club that players are going to put in the bag to really maximize their performance in those real, real unique scoring shots and just maximize their scoring ability, uh, and maximizing their spin. Full face groove story is, is been out there recently. Other companies are making a high toe wedge. Um, and again, this is more surface. Um, one of the key things that we do here, though, with the with the high toe, is actually we actually make a better design of the toe. We highly relieve the toe and the heel, and that allows the club to be set down and manipulate a little bit more in the in the address position to work through the multiple types of shots you're going to encounter around the green. Whether it's a really tight shot off of the you know close closely mowed area, or if it's a bunker shot, or of course in the rough, and that ability to get the club sitting and working through the turf condition and underneath the ball makes it a real versatile club. And uh, whenever we're talking about those type of shots, as we know in the short game, it's it's your ability to really manage the shots that you have in front of you and be able to be versatile. If your wedge is just one way, it's got too much bounce or too little bounce, 
it's not going to give you the type of performance you need on every shot. You're going to have certain shots that just you just can't execute. So we've we've kind of combined all these features into full face, and I think it's going to be really fun to see people out on the uh, short game clinics this season uh, hitting some shots that maybe they've never hit before. And Perry, you also have wedges with what you guys call smart soul. Talk about those and whose game those are actually designed for. Smart Soul is, is a product that's been around over the different years and different products uh, uh, of designs. With a, it started with Hogan Shurout from a whole years back, and it's a, basically it's a wide, wide sole golf club that's designed to maximize the bounce production throughout every shot that you hit. So Smart Soul has a wide sole but a low bounce angle and what that means is the bounce angle actually measured is very low so the club sits very close to the turf but because of the wide sole the club slides in and enters the turf and slides across the turf as opposed to digging most players in in a smart sole category design are a little steep with their angle of attack and that allows that causes a lot more divot and when you have a steeper angle of attack you're bringing the big ball into play. You're bringing Mother Earth into play, and you want to have something that allows you to be a little off of that angle of attack and keeps the club moving through the through the condition, through the turf. Smart Soul delivers it in three different uh, lofts. 42 degree, which we call the Smart Soul C, uh, the 50 degree Smart Soul Gap, and then the 58 degree Smart Soul Sand. And these three wedges combined will allow you to hit the pretty much the myriad of shots that most players struggle with. The tight chip and run shot that a lot of players choose to use their putter on, the C wedge does that with a little bit of loft, 42 degrees, like an eight iron, but has that wide enough sole and a little bit of offset in the, in the setup to create a good angle of attack and keep the ball just kind of bump it up in the air and get it running and rolling like a putt. The gap wedge is designed just for that. A little bit more loft for a shot, you want to keep the ball a little lower, or if you're out in the fairway from a certain specific yardage that you're trying to approach the green with, it gives you that playability if you're just a little off to keep the club moving through the turf and, and keep your distance up. And then the Smart Soul S is a phenomenal club around the green for bunker shots out of the rough and, again, tight turf conditions. And the three lofts give that player pretty much who struggles in short game execution the ability to really improve their golf game by the design of the club. And, and of course, add a little uh, golf instruction on top of that, and you might find yourself saving lots of strokes over the course of the, of the round. Yeah, let's, let's take that another step forward because I'm a, I'm a guy who struggles in the bunker. Right? That's, mm-hmm. that's, for whatever reason, that shot always intimidates me. So when you talk about the smart sole S, boy, that, that, that sort of get, you know raises my eyebrows like, hmm, maybe that's okay, what I so need. Let me ask you a question as, as we would if we're doing some instruction here. When you get to the when you get to a bunker shot, what is called a standard bunker shot? Nothing, nothing like a fried egg. What is what is your first mindset when you're in the bunker? Are you what are you trying to when you look at the shot? Are you, are you just evaluating the lie? Are you are you are you worried about the shot from a distance standpoint? What what is your first uh, uh, I guess fear of the bunker? What is that? What is that that yeah, you're, so, you're afraid? Yeah. So for me, right, uh, you know, you talk about fear. I'm either I'm, I'm afraid that I'm either going to leave it in the bunker or I'm going to blade it across <laughs> the bunker and it's going to go forever. Right. So it's that yeah. you, we all know you got to hit behind, you know, you got to hit the sand, don't hit the golf ball and all that sort of stuff. But that's a very different swing than what I'm used to. I'm a sweeper, right? I'm a sweeper yeah, on the sure. fairway and all that sort of stuff. So I don't take a divot. I, I sweep. So I'm always afraid that since that's different, now I got to hit behind the ball 
that, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm either going to decel or, you know, any number of things can go wrong. But what, you know, my goal so when I get in the bunker is just get out. There you go. So you, you, you literally tagged all the things that most players who are out in the fairway having to approach a green and watch the ball go towards the bunker. And they're immediately thinking, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of what's going to happen next. Right. You haven't even got right. to the shot. Have you got to your bunker shot? And we're, where the where the confident bunker players, the tour professional on down, that bunker is probably a miss that they would say, if I'm going to miss the green, I'm going to miss it in the bunker because that's where I can have the most control over my my life pretty much and the ability to, to spin the shot and keep get close. So for you and, and the smart Celeste or, or whatever wedge that we're going to find that works best for you as a sweeper, um, you, you have to work on how the setup is and how your angle of attack is. So you just said it. You don't typically take much divot, so for you to get the club to angle into the into the sand, right? The, again, normal sand conditions, an inch and a half behind the ball. What's going to take that for you to, to get comfortable and, and confident in making that shot? And putting a, a smart Celeste in your hand will allow you to take a, well, I'll describe it as just a regular full swing. You don't have to do much manipulation. For most players, we take our 56 degree or 60 degree and get in the sand and we augment the based on the line the length of the shot to how we're going to hit the shot we take a little bit more open stance if it's close to us we take a little bit more square stance if it's a further away shot and that's part of instruction and then maybe that would be something that your fear could be alleviated by by being more conscious of how you set up the ball right create that in setup and that's where a lot of players get in trouble I think one of the things that players think, oh, I've got to hit behind the ball. So the first thing they do is they put their weight on their back foot, and that's a negative. You don't want to be leaning or hanging back on the shot because you're right. You're going to hit one of two things. It's going to be fat and leave it too much sand in the bunker, or you're going to come in and you're going to hit that sculler, and it's going to be scooting over the green and who knows, God knows where, right? So the first right. thing you have to kind of get is get your setup to where your weight is favoring your lead side. And I say that because we have rights and lefties, listen, of course. So if you, if you put more weight on your lead leg, let's just say for a standard bunker shot, flat bunker shot, bottom of the bunker, you know, 60, 65% on your lead leg, and you hold it there the entire swing. That's the first thing you have to try to do is keep your weight balanced and not get moving around in your lower body. Get your weight set, get your feet dug in a little bit, maybe choke down a little bit on your on your wedge because, again, if your feet are settling into the sand, Makes sense that you're, you know, you're getting a little lower than the turf, right? Lower than the condition. And then the openness to your, to your line of uh, target line is, is kind of a you thing. You have to practice it a little bit. You have to play with it. And using the smart soul, we find players that we don't have to do that very much. You can stay more square to your target. The smart soul will help that club enter and release through the sand. And whereas if you're taking a, a standard sandwich and maybe opening it or keeping it square, you might have to augment how much you open or close your stance. So Smartsville delivers that for you. Instruction in bunker play, uh, I can only offer you the thing is that when you get in the bunker, have a chance to go practice bunker shots, practice your setup, work on that more than anything. And the the one the last thing in, in bunker play is swing speed, right? Bunker shot with a moderate lift. You've got to swing it like it's double that. You've got to swing it like 50 feet away. And you've got to, if it's a 30-yard bunker, a 20-yard bunker shot, you've got to swing like it's a 40-yard bunker shot. That's how much this, it's a two-to-one ratio. You've got to create more speed because of the sand to get that ball to fly out and release, um, get out of the bunker. A lot of people just don't swing with enough speed 
Part of it's because they're not confident or comfortable and their fears are coming into play. And then secondly, if you just work on your setup and maintain a lower body position that allows the club to get back to the to position by holding your, your weight in your lower body, just releasing towards the target and not trying to lean back into the shot or set up that way, you might find yourself getting more at least out of the bunker and onto the green surface uh, more regularly than not. And that's the key thing for most players. Get out in one and take your chances with a with a putt from 15 feet or if it happens. Wherever. Or yeah, exactly. You know, two putts from 25 or 30 feet is better than two bunker shots and a two putt from 25 feet, you know, or 30 feet. So uh, it, that is a key thing. But, you know, a little bunker instruction there to help. But it's a uh, smart soul does do, do that. It keeps, I'll take it, it just, it takes a little less thinking with smart soul. You don't have to manipulate the club face. Whereas if you're using your standard sandwich, you have to kind of adjust some of the openness and squareness of the club face. And Perry, a moment ago, you, you talked a little bit about bounce. And we've had so much rain here in the southeast this winter. You know, the courses are saturated. It's going to be damp conditions out there for the foreseeable future. Talk about how that's going to influence the amount of bounce that we need on our wedges. Yeah, the, the amount of bounce certainly comes into play with where you play your golf, first of all. Southeast, Bermuda grass, typically, maybe some certainly some zoysia down there. Uh, all the way up through to the northeast where you're talking, uh, you know, a nice, heavy, rye, bent grass condition. And I say heavy because when that stuff gets thick, it gets heavy. Uh, and then you talk about the conditions of this weather and, and saturation and, and that. And so balance is, a, is is going to be more favorable when you are playing golf courses like that as opposed to firm, dry golf courses. But a lot of it has to do with how the player strikes the ball. I mentioned it earlier about the angle of attack. And if you're a player who's, we'll, we'll give you, you're just inconsistent with your angle of attack. Sometimes you're a little shallow, sometimes you're a little steep, and certainly the conditions that you play in vary, then probably a moderate bounce will work. And that will allow the club to get through the turf and, and keep the club sliding and, and less dig. If you're a player like yourself, who yourself described as a, you know, a, a picker or you're very, very shallow, then for you, you might find using a low bounce wedge will work in dry conditions. But if you find yourself playing golf courses that have been heavily rained on, uh, the seasons the golf courses are playing, uh, zoysia grass, I find there's a lot of players who play zoysia grass, and we have some that here in Kentucky, they find that the lie is really, really good, but the club just goes right into the ball. They don't have, there's just no, nothing there when they hit the ball because they've got too less a bounce. When you put more bounce into the club, it just gives you that extra amount of playability or forgiveness. And if your angle's a little steep, it will keep the club sliding, like I mentioned earlier. If you're really steep, then you need to push yourself to a high bounce wedge and or the smart soul wedge. Those are the things that players typically don't have enough of in their wedge game. They they think, well, I, I've only wanted to use a certain shot. Well, if you're trying to use a low bounce wedge out of the bunker where you're trying to explode sand, you better be really skilled because that club is, is not going to do anything but dig in the sand. And so it makes it very difficult to be consistent when you're trying to fight the actual thing that you have to do, and that is to get the club into the sand. So <clears throat> we see most players from the tour player on up playing with mid to high bounce wedges. And a lot of people think, well, if I have a high bounce wedge, I'm going to have a tendency to skull the ball. I'm going to hit it thin if I open the club face up. And that's not the case. The key factor in, in bounce design is how wide is the sole? Um, smart sole, again, being mentioned, it's the widest sole we have. The effective bounce, as we call it, is about 16 degrees. That's a high bounce wedge because of the wide sole. But if I take that 
actual measured bounce on the smart. So it's only about three degrees. So it sits very tight to the turf. But if you try to open the club face up with the smart sole, then you really bring that belly shot into play. The, the, the leading edge doesn't, it just rises up and you can't do that with a smart sole. Cause again, that player typically doesn't address and change their set, setup. You go to a traditional wedge like the RTX four or CBX, then you can start opening the club face up in that bounce because the sole is narrower will allow you to just get more playability based on the condition of the shot you're trying to play. So on all of that, the, the key thing is more bounce is best for most players. That's the key thing. Most companies build a wedge based on sole width and camber to create a lot of playability in all conditions, whether you're playing the northeast, the southwest, or if you even make a trip over across the pond, okay? So that's the key thing. So that's down the middle. If you know recognizing your, your games and your tendencies, then you might flip and go a little bit lower because of the way you try, like to strike the golf ball or conversely go a little higher because it gives you more advantage. And we always say bounce is your friend. And, and that's something that uh, I think any instructor who understands wedge play would, would, would say to most all the players they teach. All right, let's move on to the green. Let's talk a little putting. And the last time you joined me, you got me really excited about the <laughs> Cleveland frontline putters, another golf digest. Uh, gold medalist. Um, remind everybody how good and what makes them so good. Well, you got to talk to Matthew about his frontline putter uh, escapade that we did back in the fall when we introduced frontline to the to, to the market and took him through a putter fitting. And I don't know if you've talked to him recently, but he was filming uh, and and sending me texts each time he went up to play. Uh, and a great story that he he sent me one day was that he showed me on his you know he sent me a text and it was a all I saw was this morning dew line of a putt from standing 35 feet away, and he just filmed walking as the, you could see the the dew line putt, and the ball going the hole from 30 feet. He didn't show me the putt because, of course, he hit the putt, but he had already made it, and he went back and filmed how the putt rolled in the hole, and he was just telling me how great this putter has been for him since he's been playing it. And I said, Matthew, it's, it's, that's an amazing that you're putting well, but I think one of the things that most players are out there buying four and five hundred dollar drivers wanting that technology thing to be the thing to help them drive the game, drive the golf ball better and improve their game. The same thing goes for your putter. And Frontline is designed to do those things, help your putting game. And if unless you're putting two or three hours a day or even at least two or three hours a week, you're gonna have a struggle with putting on the on any golf course you play. It putting is just that difficult to get right. And Frontline delivers it on three ways. First thing is waiting on the face. The face tungsten weight provides stability as the putter hits the ball. So we know the moment of inertia when the putter gets hit offset causes the face to twist. If that's the case, it's going to direct the ball offline. Weights on the face stabilize that. The second piece of the puzzle is we use 2135 sight line, which is a, a lower sight line. That 2135 actually stands for the millimeters. That is the radius of a golf ball. So the actual the line bisects the center of the golf ball, and this helps players visually line up to their target. We all know people have dominant eyes, and we, we're going through instruction. It's, it's the thing that always causes players, you know, what is they think they're lined up to the you know right edge of the cup, and they're lined up two inches to the right edge of the cup. So those are things that people struggle with all the time. That's not a bad stroke; it's just a bad alignment, not even a bad read for that matter. So the front line, the 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 2135 gives player, players a much more consistent way to keep their eyes over the putt and lined up to the to the break or the center of the of the cup. The third piece in frontline design is um, the putter's ability to to help players 
really keep with the center of gravity, keep that positioning with uh, with more square face contact. And we use SOFT, soft sur- uh, surface optimum face technology, where it's a milled face to keep the speed up. So when you miss it a putt, what typically happens like you miss it a shot, it doesn't have the speed to get the distance that you like to do. So by managing the center of gravity and optimizing it with speed optimized face technology, the ball going the right distance. So you can miss hit it and it'll still go real close to the distance you have. You don't lose as much speed. And so you put all those technologies together. We often, we have a new grip called the, the Lampkin. Basically, it's a Lampkin grip with a oversized. So a lot of players are going to oversized grips these days, but it has uh, the flare at the back end. It has the taper that allows the hand to sit in the hand. It's not round. Um, for me, I don't, uh, the round grip is a little bit dis- discomforting. Uh, this is an old kind of tapered flare grip that gives you a little bit more feel in your left hand, uh, or right hand if you're cross-handed. Um, and that, that does, does, it does deliver all three things for players and just improves your ability to line up, keep the ball rolling on, on its intended target line and keep the speed up for the distance you're looking. So uh, if you can do those three things, you're probably going to make more putts. What'd you think? Uh, agreed. <laughs> yeah. So you got me excited about it last time. You get me even more excited about it this well, time, particularly if Matthew's making more putts. We need to get to try it. We need, there, there are four different models, and that's the other thing that players, I think, when they're looking at putters and technology, you, you know it's on tour. You know, obviously Tiger's been putting years over years with the Scotty Cameron and the Plumber Neck style, and that's a great putter with, with awesome, you know, the materials, the the high, you know, modulus materials of German stainless steel and the milling. But Tiger's a really good putter, and he puts a lot of hours practicing it. And for some players, they think, well, I want to putt with that putter. It's $400. It's going to be good for me. It's not going to be good for you if it doesn't match the way you you want to you stroke the putt in terms right. of consistency. We're seeing most players now move to these, I'll call them wingback putters, right? They've got the two fangs off the back of the putter, or it's a or it's a full uh, full cavity, a full uh, circular putter with a lot of you know deep center of gravity. These putters are, they are, some are face balance and some are quarter toe hang. So that depends on how you stroke the ball. And that's the one thing that Matthew and I found when, in our little testing that we did together. I had him hit the, the, the Elevado, which is a fang or wing back putter with a club has a quarter toe hang and actually rotates as you swing along an arc, right? Face open and closure. And then we have the face balance bend neck, which the putter face does not open and close. It's more for players who are square to square or back and forth. So I asked Matthew before we hit his, we hit some putts, I said, what do you think you are as a putter? He goes, oh, I try to keep the putter moving back and forth, you know, like a pendulum square to square. I said, okay. So we had hit putts with each of the putters. He went five out of six with the bent neck, which meant he's opening and closing the face. And he went one out of six with the bend neck, thinking it's square wow. to square. I said, so he was totally off on how he thought he was swinging the putter, but putting him in the right model and allowing the putter to match his stroke here we go. These are things that players, when they're going to buy a putter, yeah, it looks cool and feels good. But when you go to the putting green or inside of the store and hitting putts, in a, if you're not making putts with that putter, grab another one. <laughs> okay? There's a reason why. <laughs> okay? People don't realize. You know, like I said, I always, well, you're playing with your buddy and he's making these putts from everywhere. You go, give me that putter. Let me try that, you know? You always want to, or the driver, same thing. Well, if you do the same with it, there's probably a good chance those specs match your the putter design and and so I'm telling people yes trial and error is certainly the way most people come to find products and certainly putters are that way but if you take the time to work with somebody a PGA professional 
on having to hit a few different types of putters that also fit your eye visually, but also match the way you swing the putter. And it's just as important as you swing the driver. You need to hit the putter in the center of the club face. And if you can do that, the whole goal with all these putter designs that we see out there and the materials and Frontline has been delivering that uh, since we introduced it back in the fall. It's been a lot of fun. Perry, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you and the brands are doing, whether it's online or it's on social media as well. Well, certainly we're we're on Twitter uh, and, and Facebook for the company line from Frickson Golf and Cleveland Golf, and then certainly the the ZexioUSA.com, um, ClevelandGolf.com, and Frickson.com for all of our product lineup and uh, all the things that you would want to do if you're interested in trying out our product. Uh, wherever you live, you can go online. There's a section for demo events and uh, get out in the field and, and find a facility nearby. Uh, this is a time of year across the entire USA pretty much where demo events are going on down in the south where the season's kind of winding down. Uh, and then certainly, I'll say the deep south because you guys haven't started your season yet either, but all the way up through uh, throughout the rest of the country, the, the demo days are out there. It's a great way. It's, it's probably... If you're truly interested in helping find the best product for yourself, get out to a demo day, schedule a fitting, and get working with somebody who can actually help you navigate the great products that are out there, not just from our company, but from all the other companies. You just, but you, the key thing is you have to find something that fits the way you swing, that matches your, your pattern of swing from tee shot to putter and, uh, works and helps work with the way you, you know, you're trying to improve your specific parts of your game. And, and like you said, if you're if you're out there, your your putter's giving you a struggle, you know, you, you probably need to try to find some, a new putter and, and work with that and, and get a little instruction. If it's your short game, that's where I always talk about people. The fastest way to improve is improve your short game. So uh, if you can do that, we'll work on the, the, the long game secondarily. But uh, great stuff out there. Get out and uh, and really have a chance to uh, help your game by trying some other trying products on the field. Harry, when uh, when might we be able to hear you and Matthew on Backspin Golf? I hope that uh, the show is coming out of hiatus soon. I got to get my Sunday mornings back in line. Well, it's, it, that's funny that you ask because we are definitely a first. Uh, our 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 first uh, show is this coming Sunday, so uh, we are back. Hey, there we go. <laughs> so uh, Matthew and I will be uh, be starting our show up. That means golf season is directly around the corner, as we know. Players Championship next week. Uh, Every every time the, the the Bay Hill event, Arnie's event comes up, and always tells me it's about time. I mean, everybody's gearing up. All the pros are focusing on the Masters, as we know with Tiger. So yeah, it's a fun time of the year, and uh, yeah, we are starting up this coming Sunday. So uh, check in for our 8:03 tea time there, my friend. Ah, no kidding. Can't wait. Perry, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come back and be a part of the show. I hope you'll come back and join me again soon. Your stuff is always fantastic. So insightful. And helps us out trying to figure out what the right things are for our game. Plus, you know, the, the playing lessons are always outstanding as well. Hope you'll come back soon. Chris, appreciate it always. Uh, look forward to catching up to you soon. And uh, you got to make your way to uh, Kentucky for that round of golf with Matthew and I. Yeah, absolutely. You're not kidding. That's on my list, I promise you. <laughs> all right. Harry, all the good. best to you and your family, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Appreciate it. See you, Chris. That's a great Perry French, folks. I'm telling you. The instruction doesn't get any better than what you hear from Perry. And then obviously the equipment knowledge on top of that, it's a complete package. Perry's a great guy and a lot of great information. And uh, like I, you hear me talk about it every week here on the show. You got to listen to Backspin Golf. It is my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. tea time. 
I listen religiously every single week. It's great stuff, and uh, I can't recommend it highly enough for both how talented and how great Matthew is as an interviewer and uh, just as a host of a show, and then Perry leading off that show every single week with great information. Highly recommend it. Please go online to check it out. You can go on WLXG.com and uh, and tune in or download it as a podcast as well from their site, from their app. So great stuff. Looking forward to having Perry back on the show again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Craig Canna, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron from either their Fort Worth, PTX Pro, or Edge Irons, and go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you've got. All Ben Hogan woods, irons, and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made woods, irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com, and they're going to build those clubs to your specifications, and best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of golf equipment, bags, and accessories online at BenHoganGolf.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now joining me here on the French Lake Resort guest line is Craig Ken. Let me give you a little background on Craig. He's from LaGrange, Illinois. And like my next guest, Shane Utley, Craig attended the University of Missouri and graduated in 1988. You know Craig from his time broadcasting on the Golf Channel as a lead anchor and a studio host. Did the pre- and post-game shows for Golf Central. Did play-by-play for the PGA, LPGA, and what was then the Nationwide Tours as well. You saw him on their coverage of all the majors and the Ryder Cup as well. Craig has been the chief communications officer for the LPGA. He's currently leading his own company, Can Advisory Group, and you can hear him on SiriusXM PGA Tour Radio. He and John Cook have a show on Monday nights, which is awesome. He's a guy that I've watched and learned from over the years. I kind of have a mentorship with him from a distance, watching all the great stuff that he did on the YouTube channel and, uh, and really kind of paying attention to how you get it done. And no one's done it better than Craig, and I'm very excited he is with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Craig, thanks for coming on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for the intro. Very kind of you, and uh, I'm glad to be able to be with you tonight. So, Craig, kind of quite by happenstance, I've got you and Stan Utley on the show tonight, both of Missouri, <laughs> Missouri alumni. Did you guys know each other in college? So, we didn't know each other in college, but uh, I have an amazing respect for uh, what he's been able to do, not just as a professional golfer and what he got out of his game and, and also how he's impacted other people uh, through the game. He is, a, he is one of the best teachers in the game. I think one of the great things about Stan is, you know, he is not the guy who's going to help you hit it 350 yards off the tee. And that's not where strokes are made anyway. He's the guy that's going to help you around the green. He's one of the best short game guys anywhere in the world. I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about the world. And the other great thing about Stan is he's an unassuming star. He doesn't walk around looking for glory. He's not always trying to build that brand to the point that um, all you do is hear overkill from, from what he's doing and how he's doing it. He goes about his business quietly, but he does it so well, and he makes a great impact with people. Um, just one of the nicest guys you could ever meet in the game of golf. I'm a big fan, and um, you know, we talk Missouri Tigers stuff whenever we see each other. So I'm really happy for his success. 
And I saw some videos of the two of you on set at the Golf Channel kind of going through Stan's putting tips. Did, did you get an opportunity to, to pick his brain off camera, maybe help your own game a little bit? Did you get to spend some time with him? Well, let me tell you something. Um, I was once upon a time a four-point-something-or-another handicap Academy Live. And once I started hosting Academy Live at the Golf Channel, my handicap soared. I am, I am so gullible. I will listen to any teacher, anybody who tells me something. I'll try it. I'll, I'll use it and I'll try to put it into play. And the problem with that is the minute you do that, um, you start listening to everybody and then you get all messed up. And my handicap went up to about a 10 in no time. So, you know, one guy would come in this week and say, step in with the right foot in your stance. The next guy would come in the next week. You want to start with the left foot. One guy says, you know, bring the club back inside. The other guy says, bring it back straight up, straight down. I mean, I was a mess. Uh, but what was Stan, it was all about the short game. It was about putting. It was about uh, the, the putter face and, and uh, impact and all of that stuff. And I, I learned a lot of things. I mean, it's not that easy to get your short game fine-tuned. That, that I will say. And the older I get, I think the older we all get, um, you start realizing that uh, strokes around the green are, are where you're going to you know, make, your, make your money. If you're, if you're betting with people. It's interesting that you mentioned, you know, talking about all the different uh, swing thoughts and all the different instructors. I've had Peter Kessler on the show many times. And Peter said the same thing. You, you start to get all these different swing thoughts. And it, it, next thing you know, like to your point, you go from a four to a 10 or you go from a four to a 15 because you're trying to think about too many things and, and too many opposing thoughts. How do, you get, how do you get back to being a four? How do you get the thoughts back out of your head and find your own swing? Well, it's kind of like what I coach when I do speaking uh, around the country. You know, I, I, I tell people, and I told a guy on the phone today who, who's going to come work with me for a day um, for some upcoming talks that he has to give. I said, look, I'm not going to make you the best public speaker in the world. I'm not going to make you the best presenter in the world. What I am going to do is I'm going to make you your best speaker and your best presenter. So when it comes to the golf swing, you know, we can all try to say we want to swing it like Dustin Johnson or Brooks Koepka or Tiger Woods or or, uh, you know, on, on the ladies' tour, Stacey Lewis or uh, Brittany Lincecum or uh, Lydia Ko. But you know what? It, you got to be you. And there are a lot of people that have had great success in the game by simply being themselves. Look at Jim Furyk. Perfect. Look at Matthew Wolf now. People are, are trying to emulate that. They'll, they'll drive themselves crazy. You've got to focus on, on what brought you there. And I always say, you know, to this day, doing SiriusXM stuff, and we analyze it on the weekends and so forth, how many players either change equipment, change golf coaches, change swings, whatever, trying to get better? And they end up not ending up better. They end up potentially off the tour. And we could, we could come up with a few names real quick, you know, um, back when some methods were, were popular and, and whatnot. So I always say just be you, focus on being you, and the same goes with golf. Craig, I want to go back to the time you were at the at the Golf Channel, and you were there when the channel launched, first went on the air in 95, and so was another great friend of the show, Keith Hirschlin. I was curious uh, what you remember about working alongside of Keith. So I started out there, uh, and I was solely Golf Central as a reporter on the PGA Tour, and did some LPGA, and obviously anchored Golf Central in the studio, and a bunch of other shows. And then... Um, there was a little bit of a regime change. Tony Tortorisi was the executive producer, or the, you know, my boss, basically. And uh, he gave me some opportunities in live golf with Keys on his team. 
And then a guy by the name of Don McGuire, a former Turner executive, came in and, and also saw something in me to put me out there on some live tournament golf. Um, I started out doing some on-course commentary um, on what was then the Buy.com tour, believe it or not. So we got to go back a ways. And uh, then I ended up doing some stuff at the booth. And I did booth work for the LPGA and PGA Tours Thursday, Fridays on the PGA Tour coverage. This was before the Golf Channel ended up with the PGA Tour contract. So at the time, we had about 30 events, 33 events total. And I worked with Keith Herslund. And, um, you know, to this day, uh, I will tell anybody this. And there are a lot of great golf producers out there. Uh, Tommy Roy's amazing. Lance Barrows had a great career. Jack Graham was at ABC and is now at Golf Channel as an executive. Um, but I will say that Keith Herson is as good as anybody there ever has been. I really believe that. Um, now, he shows a lot of golf shots and you got to move quickly and he doesn't like <laughs> anchors and hosts that do a lot of yapping because he wants more golf shots to keep the thing moving. But at the same time, uh, he really, he really has a great cadence and that's what it's all about. It's, um, it's a bit of a disappointment that he's not still in it at some level because he should be. He's that good. I, I truly enjoyed my time there. He made me better, and I, I learned a lot uh, under his watch, sitting there as a host um, of how to do it because I hadn't done it before, and he kept me calm and uh, gave me uh, a great guidance of, of how to basically quarterback and run a golf show, um, keeping everybody else in the mix, the uh, on-course announcers and um, the other analysts that were in the booth. It was it was a terrific opportunity. Keith is fantastic. And Craig, when you guys started out, were you confident that a 24-hour golf channel would no. work? Or was there, a, <laughs> uh, was there a moment in time when you figured out, hey, this is going to work? Well, uh, I, I just got done sending in a manuscript for a book I've got that I've been working on for more than a year that's going to come out. There's a chapter in there, obviously, about the golf channel, but I will tell you, I was in Kalamazoo, Michigan for four years. Um, I worked in local news. I was in Columbus, Georgia, Fort Myers, Florida, and then Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, uh, on my way to the Golf Channel. And when I got that opportunity, and I always tell people this story, um, a guy by the name of Mike Whalen was the executive who put all the programming together and brought in all the talent, not only in front of the camera, but many of the lead producers, including guys like Hirschland. Um, and he brought me down. He flew me down from Kalamazoo first class, which was amazing. I mean, I was so, so thrilled. Now, he flew me back coach, and I could never figure out why that was, but he offered <laughs> me the opportunity to be on the Golf Channel as a PGA Tour beat reporter and host Golf Central. And he only gave me 24 to 48 hours to make a decision as to whether I was going to take that job or not. And I was one of the original six. It didn't take me that long. And what I believed was I believed in Arnold Palmer, and I believed in Joe Gibbs, and I believed in, in what they believed. And if Arnold Palmer was going to put his name on something, I felt like it would have a longevity to it. How long? I didn't know what properties the golf channel would get. You couldn't predict, but I knew that it was a great opportunity for me. And I felt like if it didn't work out, maybe after five years or whatever it might be, that the resume tape that I would have from a studio that was amazing and a game that I love and love to talk about, I would have a better resume tape with national exposure than what I had before. And I could always go do something else. But I think all of us collectively, and we could run down the list of names, Brian Hammonds, Jennifer Mills, Mike Ritz, Dwayne Ballin, you probably don't remember him. Um, Linda Cardwell was the other anchor with Brian Hammonds, Mike Ritz, Tom Nettles. All of us, we worked our tails off. And I mean that. Um, we were turning three, four stories a day to provide content for that network. And, and 
everybody was playing a role behind the scenes, in front of the cameras. Camera guys were amazing. Producers were terrific um, across the board. And so I did believe that we had something special. And it was a real great group of people who were dedicated to making it work. And there was a lot of, you know, people say sweat and all that sort of stuff. There was just a lot of passion, a lot of energy. And um, it was so great to be a part of it. And then you had people like, you know, uh, Rich Lerner come in a little bit later. Uh, Scott Van Pelt, everybody knows now from ESPN, but he was working there as a production person and, and he worked his way up and obviously an amazing talent. And Kelly Tillman was in the library. And so I just think we were all a team and there wasn't a huge uh, collective group of ego. We all wanted to work to help each other out. And, and I, I did feel like we were going to make it. I really did believe that. So, Craig, as we start looking ahead now to the Masters, I know you got to be a, a part of that event. Um, some of your favorite memories, what was it like covering a, a, an event like that at Augusta National and, and being a part of a major? I was very fortunate. Mike Ritz and I were the first two reporters ever to cover the Masters for the Golf Channel. That was 1995. And um, the first story I ever did was everything is green. And the point of that being that the golf course was as green as I'd ever seen. Um, the trash bags are all green. You know, the wrappers on the sandwiches are all green. Everything there, the cups that you drink from, everything's green. So if anything fell on the ground, it would all blend in. Uh, I was uh, so fortunate to cover Ben Crenshaw's victory that week. It was uh, it was a terrific experience. I didn't realize the undulations that there were on the golf course. Obviously, I didn't realize that the patrons would run in as fast as they could to try to get a seat at the 18th. So I was there in 95, and I also won the lottery. They have a media lottery to be able to play the golf course, and I got to play it my first go-around. They didn't have that, that spectacular wow. driving range that they have now, but I got to play it in 95 after Crenshaw's win had to start on the 10th hole. And I will tell you something, after no warm-ups, because you were not allowed to hit balls, Amen Corner comes up real fast on you. And, you know, <laughs> to have a caddy, to buy a yardage book, to plot your way around on the golf course, um, I kept every shot. I, I can't find that yardage book now. It really ticks me off. But I, I shot 88 that day, you know, and uh, my handicap wasn't a four at that time. It was higher than that, but I worked my way down. Uh, but I felt good about it. I, I three-putted a bunch of times, but I had a great time and, and uh, just tried to soak it all in. So that was one experience. I was there in 97 when Tiger won, and I was the guy that got picked uh, to, to interview Tiger in the locker room. I'll always remember that, uh, the sit-down interview, the exclusive that we got along with ESPN and CBS uh, was, was really special, and CNN, there were only a few of us in there. So that was a neat experience to do. Uh, I was there for several other victories as well, but to cover the Masters was just spectacular and, and walk around there and be there as many times as I have. I'm, I'm truly blessed for that opportunity. All right, so I got to live vicariously through you a little bit. What's it like standing on the 12th tee trying to figure out that golf shot and then pulling it off? So if I remember right, I made a four on that hole. Uh, I, uh, I, you know, I wasn't that nervous, believe it or not. I mean, there, there really isn't as much nervousness as you would think. Um, to me, you know, it's, it's whatever it is, an eight iron or, or seven iron or nine iron, depending upon the wind, whatever it might be. Uh, but, but I loved it. And you just stand there and you look at it and you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. Walking over the bridge. Amazing. You're standing there and you look back, all that sort of stuff. But, uh, to me, you know, even the walk down the 10th on my first ever hole played at Augusta national, uh, was, was spectacular. Um, I only made one birdie that day. It was on the front nine. 
And uh, and I did four putt seventeen. I putted it right off the green. I always remember that too. Uh, but it was it was just spectacular. We had a, we had a wonderful day that day. It was warm. Um, uh, you know, I can't say enough good things about that place. And I've always I've always felt it was special. I know I'm not alone. I'm not the Lone Ranger in that thing. But uh, you know, I I hope to be able to go back again. I don't I don't get as many opportunities as I did. You know, when you're with the Golf Channel, you you get to go every couple of years or every year or whatever it might be. Uh, but I, I'd love to go back for sure. And Craig, I, I don't think any course more than Augusta National is showing the impact that technology has had on the game. I mean, they've had to buy up yeah. uh, the strip plaza and what used to be Berkman's Road to, to lengthen the fifth hole. They've bought some land from uh, Augusta Country Club so they can lengthen the 13th hole. I mean, do, your thoughts on on the technology and, and what, what you think the USGA and the RNA should do as a solution to kind of bring the game back a little bit? Well, I, we, we could do a whole show on this. Um, I'm not going to claim to be the, the most versed on every bit of the of the report that came out. What I will say is it's disappointing that it took so long for that report to come out to basically tell us what we already knew in the first place. Um, we all know that distance is, is what it is. Uh, you know, to me, anybody that thinks, you know, they, they say, oh, maybe we, we should you know, have different equipment and different golf balls for the pros and the and the amateurs. Don't fool yourself. Those guys and women that are playing out on the tour are not playing the same equipment we're playing. Their shafts are different. They're playing prototype almost everything. Everything is custom made for them. And so you can go into Edwin Watts or PGA Tour Superstore or whatever the shop is around you. Um, you're not going to get exactly what somebody else has got unless they broke their putter or their wedge and had to send somebody down to go pick one out of a store. Um, so, so there's that. Um, I think it's very difficult to tell manufacturers, uh, balls and equipment that they have to stop technology. But at the same time, I think, um, if you look at tennis balls, I don't think they've improved all that much over the years. Um, they're, they're pretty much the same. Baseballs might have different laces at the, at the little league level versus the single A level versus the college level versus the, triple a level versus the major league level they all are a little bit different um but but by and large you know um i think it would be okay to some degree for us to have a golf ball that didn't change all that much um i think equipment is, you know is what it is um everybody wants to get better i don't think you should tell uh craig can or, or you or somebody else that that we're going to halt progress on technology and, and not allow the game uh to be made a little bit easier um, at the same time, I, I don't think we should go too far with it either. I think we got to be very careful. Uh, there are so many golf courses out there that are not overly long that need to still be in rotation. You know, uh, St. Andrews is not a long golf course, obviously. Uh, Pebble Beach is not a long golf course. Augusta National has been made longer and longer. And, uh, you know, you, you depend upon the weather and, and what you might get. That golf course has eliminated a lot of the guys that won years and years ago that really don't know that they can stand on that first tee and play 18 holes. It's just too hard, too long, and too difficult. Uh, I don't, for one, and I'll make this short to put a wrap on this topic, I don't love watching golf tournaments where guys are bombing at 340 and 350. It doesn't do anything for me. Um, I want to see people hit it in the fairway. So I miss golf courses with rough, and I miss golf courses with trees. I don't like PGA Tour events that have no trees. Um, and I don't like the run of courses that were in the 90s uh, which were all built around, or the 80s, built around, uh, you know, property uh, and houses and, law, you know, 
walking is gone. Uh, co- courses like Colonial and Harbor Town and different courses like that where you can't walk a short distance between Tees and Green. So I just hope we can maintain those courses on the PGA Tour and not lose the likes of some of the great ones that we've lost already. It's a very slippery slope. I get that. And I do hope that um, that we continue to have these discussions, at least that it's top of mind. Craig, just a couple more before I let you go. And like I mentioned in your intro, you do a great show now on Sirius XM's PGA Tour Radio with John Cook. Um, what's it like working alongside of John and doing that show with him? Well, I came on board at Sirius to do a show with Chris DeMarco, and then he went Champions Tour full-time, and the show was on Sunday morning. And he, uh, you know, he can't do it. I mean, there's no cut. So uh, he was going to be playing golf, and that wasn't going to work, so that show went away. And John Cook called me and said, Craig, I'd love you to be my host. I don't really enjoy hosting for an hour and just hear myself talk. I was flattered. Um, I've actually covered, I think, three of John's victories on the PGA Tour, uh, which was which was pretty much of a thrill. I've always respected him. And it didn't take me long to say, yeah, let's give it a shot. And uh, so I think they gave us like a, a month or two to, to see how it would work. And we're, uh, we're on year number two now. So everything is going great. They moved us into a drive time situation. We, uh, we really thrive on getting great guests and name people, not just in golf, but outside of golf and broadcasters and all walks of the game. It's a lot of fun. He's a great guy. He's well-connected. That's the show being called Connected. I feel like I've got a decent Rolodex. And we have, we have a great time with that show. I truly enjoy it. And then I get to do the post game on the weekend, uh, with Mark Lyon, who I worked with day one at the golf channel. So I'm really enjoying the Sirius XM stuff. It's so different from television, but the producers and everybody there, it's a, it's a really fantastic team to work with. And, and uh, I'm having a blast. No question. So talk about the other thing that you're doing away from golf. And that's your, your company, uh, can advisory group and the, some of the keynote speaking and, and the things that you're doing with that organization. Well, I am, I am blessed. There's no question about it. Had I not been the chief communications officer at the LPGA or the lead anchor at Golf Channel for a number of years, I don't think I'm doing what I'm doing right now with the, with the success that I'm having with it. Um, I feel like I've got a good message to share no matter what uh, what my background is. And I, I think I've taken all the years in television and speaking and presenting uh, and the speeches that I've given and how to do it and how to connect with an audience to help other people. Um, as I said earlier, I don't teach people to be the best public speaker in the world, but I can teach them to be their best. And I do, um, people say, what do you do? You know, and, um, can advisory group, it's elevating communication and I help companies and I help individuals and I help organizations, um, to help shape and, and share their message. And it's not easy today. There's a lot of companies out there trying to fight for attention and, um, awareness. And that stuff is like currency today. Everybody's talking, but uh, very few people really have a good, solid message. And there are a lot of companies that have employees that are just that. They're not ambassadors. They don't know the company's story. They don't know how to deliver it. Sales teams that that go in trying to sell something without realizing it's a smile before it's a sale. And we connect with people, not brands. And So people have to figure out how to get in front of others and deliver a story that's compelling, shareable, and creates conversation and word-of-mouth marketing. So that's what I do. If they say, Craig, what are you? I say, I'm an elevator. I elevate people to become better. I elevate brands to become bigger. And I elevate events to become grander. So you can hire me to do a keynote, and I'll give it my best shot to make it an experience for everybody that'll get people talking. You hire me to be a consultant for your company. I'm going to help deliver the wow, not the what, because that's what's going to get attention. And we're going to work closely on that brand development. 
And if you hire me to do a workshop or something else, I am going to take your employees and I'm going to empower them and inspire them to become the best of themselves and be able to deliver and share a message. I love doing it. It's been an absolute blast. And uh, I've had some great clients, you know, Transamerica and Accenture and Diamond Resorts and Titleist is a big client of mine as well. Um, there are a lot of companies uh, in a lot of places in the country and obviously a lot of keynotes tied to golf um, for various organizations. Just got back from Kentucky with the Kentucky section of the PGA, going to the New England section of the PGA, coming up at the end of the month, doing a keynote at Butler National this summer. Um, you know, so a lot of neat things uh, that are all tied to this. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I feel like uh, I'm able to help people. Uh, I'll leave you with this. A long time ago when I was when I was at Golf Channel, I started asking myself, you know, what am I going to do as my second act? Now, I didn't know that second act was going to be chief communications officer of the LPGA. And I thank Mike Juan for that opportunity. I learned amazing things with that for five years. But, um, but I always wanted to not just be known as the Golf Channel guy or the TV guy. And so I started working on what my next was and what my career pivot might be able to be. So I've been working on this for quite some time, a number of years, and to be able to put it into motion and not just make a paycheck, but make a difference for people. That's what it's all about to me. And that's what success is all about is helping others. And I feel like I'm able to do that and connect with people. So Craig, let our listeners know, how can they get more information about what you're doing? Follow you online and on social media as well. Well, Twitter is at Craig Can with two Ks, K-R-A-I-G-K-A-N-N, or at Can Advisory. Uh, same thing goes for Instagram at Craig Can. Uh, the website is canadvisory.com, K-A-N-N, advisory.com. And uh, I would love to hear from you. There's no doubt about it. I, if you've got a company and you want to turn your employees into real speakers, real presenters that know your company's story and can make a difference and drive revenue and drive sales and drive attention and awareness, uh, I'd love to come do a workshop. I call it the Elevate Workshop. It is not, uh, it is not your normal run-of-the-mill leadership career development day. It is a leadership experience. And uh, it's all based on communication, presentation, branding, and bonding. Your team will have a blast. And I do individual uh, consulting as well with people one-on-one. So that's how they can get a hold of me, canadvisory.com, or go ahead and uh, direct message me on Twitter, at Craig Cam. Well, Craig, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime. I'd love to. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, thanks to everybody there for uh, for listening. I, I really appreciate it. Craig, take care. All the best to you and your family. Hopefully, we get to catch up soon. Thank you. That's a great Craig Can, my friends. K-A-N-N is uh, how his last name is spelled, and a lot of great stuff and a lot of great videos out there as well. You can look him up on YouTube. You can see some of the great stuff that he did uh, back in the days with, with the Gao Channel, some of the great speeches that he is doing now. It really is inspiring stuff. He's not uh, just overselling himself. I'm telling you, I've looked at a lot of those videos, and it really is great. So I hope uh, we do get the uh, the blessing of having Craig back on the show again soon. Like I say, it's it's fantastic to have him the same night as Stan Utley is on with us as well, two guys from uh, from Missouri that uh, have both gone on to do great things. And like I say, uh, Craig's fantastic. Check him out online, follow him on social media, and uh, we'll do the best we can to get him back again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Shane LeBaron and Stan Utley, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. You can find them online at positivevibesgolf.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at pvibesgolf. 
Their head covers and putter covers, folks, are a unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts and a great on-course training aid as well because they help you stay positive by putting positive, happy images in your mind. I mean, every time you walk back to your golf bag and you look at your head covers, you're going to smile. See why I say that by going online to PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at PVibesGolf. This segment of the show was sponsored by our friends at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret that pros know. A larger, lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is uh, is Shane LeBaron and Stan Utley. And again, two of the great instructors in the game. Let me give you some background on both of them. Shane is the director of instruction at Mirabel Club in, uh, in Scarsdale, Arizona, and also at Knollwood Club in Lake Forest, Illinois. He's been named by Golf Digest as the best in-state in Illinois, and Arizona Foothills named him best in Valley. He's a plain truth level three instructor as well, and a fantastic guy, and I'm, I'm very excited he is back. And we got Stan Utley as well, and he has been a top player and instructor for years, going back to 1980 when he won the Missouri Junior Championship. Played his college golf, like I say, at the University of Missouri, where he was a three-time All-Big A Conference selection and twice-named All-American. Led the Tigers to the Big A Championship in 1984 and was elected to their Athletics Hall of Fame in 95. Joined the PGA Tour in 1988, won the 89 Chattanooga Classic, plus three times he won on the Nike Tour, what you, know, you guys know now as the Corn Ferry Tour. But he was third on the Nike Tour money list in 93. Holds the record, oh, by the way, for the fewest putts over nine holes with six in the 2002 Air Canada Championship. Golf Digest, is, uh, Golf Digest has named him uh, as a top 20 instructor in America, and his, and his client list is very accomplished. And I'm very honored that both of these guys have taken time out of their busy schedules to come and be a part of the show. Hey, Stan. Hey, Shane. Thank you very much for coming on and being a part of the show tonight. Thank you, Chris. We nice appreciate you having us. So, Shane, uh, I want to start with you tonight. And, um, you know, Let's let's talk about getting right into the heart of helping helping our listeners improve their golf games because many of us are just now starting to see the temperatures get to a point where we can think about getting the clubs out of the garage and shaking the rust off of their swings. And, and Shane, one of the things that I remember growing up as a kid, I always remember Jack Nicholas talking about how he would get with Jack Grout and uh, essentially reconstruct his swing every year from the grip all the way through because he didn't want to come out of, you know, the, the winter of, you know, start out with bad habits and then, you know, having to get uh, his, his whole swing reconstructed. So we start from the foundation with the basics and go from there. I'm curious to get your thoughts. When you are starting to see, you know, your, your uh, students coming out of hibernation, if you will, well, how do you get them going again so they don't ingrain bad habits? So, so that happens you know, when I get back to Chicago, obviously. Uh, May rolls around and everyone's ready to go, but they've been, as you say, hibernating all winter long. So the first thing that I focus on is getting them to make solid contact. Like we've, we've got to get the club on the ball so that they've got confidence to keep going forward. If we can't find solid contact, we're in trouble. So I'll, I'll do things, little drills that are kind of hip high to hip high where they can get some compression on the ball, 
start to get a feel for impact, getting the club back on the ball, interacting with turf versus a lot of people over the wintertime are on mats. And mats and turf, are they're not one and the same. And uh, just getting that feel back of, of what it takes to put the club squarely on the back of the golf ball. And then we kind of evolved from there as the ball flight is, is, is telling me what to do, what direction to send that player to go. And Shane, for those folks who weren't with us last time you were on the show, you're a level yeah. three plain truth certified instructor. Talk about what that yeah. is and talk about what that philosophy is all about. So the, the, the plain truth is founded by Jim Hardy, um, Hall of Fame instructor. And, and we are, um, for, for lack of a better term and uh, kind of human track men. And, and our, our job is, as instructors is to interpret the golf ball to the person. Why is my ball doing this? Why is it going too far right? Why is it too far left? Why is it too short? How come it's not high enough? Whatever the case is. So our job as an instructor is to be an interpreter for the golf ball and then explain to the student what the student needs to do, uh, relative to what the golf ball is doing. Uh, to make the club perform different, to make the ball fly different. And so the plain truth, our education is greatly uh, geared around what did the club do to cause the ball to do what it did, and what did the golfer do to make the club do what it did to cause the ball to do what it did. And so we're very impact ball flight-oriented instructors um, trying to improve an impact, and and that's kind of the uh, a little bit of the gist of our of our plain truth system. It's not a one size fits all. A lot of people think plain truth, and they go, "Oh, uh, Matt Kuchar, everyone swings like that." Well, no, no, that's not that's not how it works. It just happens to be that's how Matt Kuchar swings. Um, it's about fixing every individual with their unique set of problems versus trying to kind of put everyone. Uh, certainly, not all golf instruction is this way, but but trying to put everyone in kind of a and kind of a shoebox of information. Well, you're going to get worse before you get better. Or if you can't do these six things, then you just need to go out and keep practicing, and it eventually it's going to come to you. And so there's there's a variety of different ways to, to swing a golf club. There's a variety of golf swings in the Hall of Fame. And not many of them look alike, by the way. Not from a grip, setup, stance, posture, backswing, downswing, follow-through, finish, you name it. They don't look alike. And so I think that I think that oftentimes golfers in general sort of have a they have an idea or a theory of what they think their swing should look like and they're more concerned with what it looks like than how it actually performs. And the performance part is where where we live. How does it perform? How does it perform under pressure? Can you rely on it? That's that's where we live. Dan, I, I want to get uh, some thoughts from you as well, but before we start getting into the golf swing and, and uh, some playing tips, I want to go back to your time at the University of Missouri. What was it like for you in college, you know, battling for a Big A championship against schools like Oklahoma State? They had some great players that you had to face, and Scott Verplank and Andrew McGee at the time you were there. What do you remember about some of those great college battles? I would I would say it wasn't really a battle. We just slipped slipped up on them. Missouri was never known as a golf powerhouse, and it was interesting during my stint there. Coach Poe gathered up a bunch of guys that I would say were very 
self-motivated and nice players. And he gave, a, he gave us a chance to travel and compete against the best teams in the country. And we all just kind of gradually got better through my four years of school. When we won the Big Eights in 84, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State were ranked between one and three all year long. And I do believe they finished two and three at NCAAs. And our team was kind of a top 20 team. We we got much better, but uh, it was a thrill to sneak up on them and shoot the low score at the Big Eight Championships my senior year. Uh, you mentioned Verplank. He did win the tournament. He was a freshman, and uh, he was obviously the best player in the field. But um, I'm proud to to have played golf at Missouri, and uh, they they're still have a nice team back there. And Stan, when I was looking over your record on the on the PGA Tour, you got your first victory just up the street from where I am in Atlanta. You got went up to Chattanooga in the Chattanooga Classic in '89. You got a win there, um, but it was, but I saw that you were a sponsor's exemption to get into the tournament, and then you won the whole darn thing. What do you, do you mind sharing uh, your memories from that event? Well, the the irony of the you know the bio you read was. I was not on tour in 1988. I was not on tour when I went down the 18th hole of the tournament. It wasn't until I made the last putt and won the tournament that I joined the PGA Tour. So I was, I had just come off the Kansas Open and the Missouri Open. I was playing the mini tours in 1989 and, and I had done that since I graduated school in 84. So I was fortunate that I did Monday qualify for Chattanooga in 88 and in 89, they gave me an exemption and, uh, I was coming off having played a couple good tournaments. I do feel like that it's, it's always appropriate to share the fact that I had just made friends with Dr. David Cook, a sports psychologist about a month ahead of my victory. And he had really given me a plan on how to, kind of think consistently over every shot and be mentally prepared for the pressure situation. And it was uh, obviously a life changer to come down the last hole and make a birdie putt to win by one and, and join the PGA Tour. And Stan, you flirted with 59 a couple of different times on what's now the Corn Ferry Tour. And in the Louisiana Open and the Miami Valley Open in 95, shot 62 in each of those tournaments. What was it like going on a run like that twice? Well, uh, the, the first time was uh, <clears throat> an interesting week in that I, the scores were very low in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I made the cut on the nose at four under, and I can't even tell you how far back I was, but on Saturday, I shot six under, so I got to 10 under through three rounds, and I was still eight shots behind. And when I came out Sunday morning, to say the wind blew hard, the only way I can really justify how hard the wind was blowing was it's the only day I remember ever golfing without wearing a hat because it was too much of a bother to keep it on. That's how hard the wind was blowing. And... We've all heard about going in the zone. Well, I guess you'd have to say it happened to me that day because I turned the front nine and seven under and went to the back nine and shot three under. And 
the person who was way ahead in the tournament was Keith Ferguson. He told me after the fact, he said he was even par for the day, and it never even dawned on him to look at the leaderboard until he walked off the 17th green because he just knew there was no way anybody could catch him. Uh, so I keep trying to figure out how that happened because it, it, uh, it was a pretty special day. And Stan, to go through the list of players that you've worked with would, would take too long here, but it's, a, like I say, a very impressive list. You've got a couple of great friends of the show that are among them and Olin Brown and Sean McKeel. Curious to get your thoughts of working with those guys, memories of, uh, of what you worked on with them. Well, it's, uh, when you're working with tour players like Owen and Sean, you're, you're rarely doing a lot. And I would say much of what I do teaching is what I call sequence based. And simply put, the club head or the putter head should swing the most in a putting stroke. And when you're working with a tour player, they already have their stroke. And I'm simply trying to get the parts to move in the right order in the right sequence. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I can't tell you what I worked on those guys with because it's been a long time. And, uh, you know, the, the best example I can give and the person who really put me on the map was working with Jay Haas and anybody from the show that can think of Jay Haas's swing. His first move in the takeaway is his handle kind of drags the head a little bit. Well, that's a, that's a good way to start a golf swing if you're going to make a full swing. But if you drag the handle on a putt, you've really moved the whole stick. You haven't swung the club head any. And I find that to be true a lot. If, if somebody's setting up with their hands behind the ball or there's, they're so against using their wrist that I say they use their wrist backwards. Uh, that was kind of Jay's case. He would move the handle about three inches back and then start the putter head back. And so if my job is to get the putter head to move first and swing freely at the bottom of the stroke, and that's usually the biggest thing I do with tour players is just put them back in sequence. And Stan, I'm a big fan of the orange whip and, and I know you've done a lot of work with those guys and, and uh, I've got one of those uh, wedges right here sitting next to my desk. Um, for for folks who don't understand, you know, what that is for and how that can help us improve our chip shots, talk about what that whippy shaft does and what it tells us and how we can make that work better for us and hit better chips. Well, I'd say the, the overall line of Orange Whip products, which Jim Hackenberg created, uh, it allows this the player to feel the load and unload of the golf shaft. And because he's kind of counterbalanced both ends, it's a very exaggerated feel, but it it gives you rhythm and tempo. And the orange whip wedge really evolved out of Jim coming and taking a chipping lesson. And I was like, Jim, the reason you're struggling chipping is you're doing the opposite technique of what your orange whip trainer causes you to do with your swing. And as we work through that, lots of people have seen this on video, but I don't know they understand that right before the club impacts the ball on a good swing, the shaft is bowed away from the target, not toward the target. 
which means the golf shaft is unloading itself if it's swung properly. So to use the orange whip wedge properly, as you make your swing, you need the handle of the club or the top of the grip to be slowing down or almost stopping in order to get the club head to release itself and swing past your hand. And I see most of the people that struggle with chipping, their hands are traveling toward the target as fast as the club head. Well, I like to call that bad math because if you're moving your hands as fast as the club head, you've defeated the purpose of swinging. That's called dragging, and that's not a very effective way to play golf. So to feel the load and unload of the orange whip wedge shaft is really the secret to learning how to use it and having that help your full, help your regular club chip and, and swing and use the bottom of the club properly in the turf. Shane, I want to get a couple of playing lessons from you for our listeners. And for those of us that are struggling with the sort of over-the-top hole hooking the ball, how can we do a better job and hit straighter shots? So the over-the-top and, and, and pull hookers, they're always steep in nature. So if you were to visualize a Ferris wheel versus a merry-go-round, uh, one goes up and down, one goes around. And so the golfer that's pull hooking and chop slicing, you kind of don't get one without the other, by the way. Um, if you chop slice, you pull hook. If you pull hook, you chop slice. If you do both of those things, you can't hit a driver. But you might be pretty good at hitting a two iron over a tree out of a divot because your angle to the ground is so steep. So your golf swings become too wildly too vertical. So in a sense, what you've got to do is you've got to find a way to get your swing path more rounded or circular or, or less oriented north and south and orient the thing a little more east and west. So doing things like, you know, if you think about it, Chris, if you were a kid with a stick and I, I said, hey, make it go whoosh, you take the thing back and you'd swing it around and the stick would go whoosh. You'd do that in a circle. Uh, you wouldn't do that straight up and down with a locked arm. It would become rounded and that would create a wider bottom. And then now all of a sudden you've got a better angle to the ball on the ground and you can, you've now ended your chop slice and pull hook and hopefully your handicaps dropped in the process. Um, <laughs> right. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of the, the gist of that right there. And Shane, speaking of better wedge shots, you've got a great tip for how to avoid blading a wedge shot and having it go screaming across the green. Can you talk us through how to, how to set up and execute that chip shot better? I can, but, uh, you know, it's interesting since you've got Stan and I both on the, you know, Stan and I have become such dear friends and, and I, I oddly, one of the greatest things about my relationship with Stan is how much he teaches me about short game, the wedges and the putter. And because of him, I think I've become uh, a much better instructor uh, especially on the short game side of things, because I was uh, maybe flailing around a little bit, trying some things and had some ideas. But watching the success he has, and certainly uh, if anyone in this audience has ever had a chance to see him play or gets an opportunity to play with him, uh, you, you will see some incredible golf shots. I think we ought to have Stan answer that one. <laughs> all right. Stan, what do you think? I, I think kudos go all the way around because my – I, I like to say God seldom hands out the whole package when it comes to golf. And uh, 
he he obviously gave Shane a big dose of swing and he gave me a big dose of short game. So it makes us good scramble partners and good coaches. If and uh, <laughs> it's pretty fun that it's pretty fun that we share students all the time. But uh, if you're trying to get rid of the the skull or the blade or the chunk, the the truth of the matter is almost exclusively your problem is you're pulling the grip in the downswing and you're making your angles of your wrist back up instead of unload. And people are so scared to use their wrists that they use them backwards versus you need to use your wrist to get the club back down in front of you and catch up with your hands, not stay behind your hands. And I like to say that ever since Gene Sarah's an added bounce to a wedge, every wedge engineer has put it on there. And if you have your hands more forward than the angle on the bottom of the club, you're insulting the engineers. The bottom of that club is not the lead edge. It's the back of the flange. And if you want to quit blading it, slap the ground with the back of your wedge or the bottom of your sole right behind the ball. The clubs are designed to glide through the wedge. They even named my ping wedge the glide wedge. So it's designed to slap the ground, and if your club slaps the ground and skids through the turf, the equator of that ball will hit up on the face, and you'll get rid of the skulls and the blades. Now, the one the one thing you always have to do is, because golf is a small pivot, when you finish, you need to finish standing up tall on your left leg. So if you, if you release the club and dive on your back leg, you'll hit the ground too soon. But if you finish tall on your front leg, or your lead leg, you're going to make good contact. I always have the image in my head of a duck landing on the water when he starts talking about the bounce. Like you, you, you've never seen a duck land on the water toes down. They come in heels first and glide right in there. You've been saving that one, Shane. Where's that been? You didn't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, with, with all of the technology and the things that have changed over the years, has it caused you to change your approach to the short game or putting, or has that all stayed pretty consistent over the last 10 or 15 years? Just left the course about an hour ago from teaching a lesson, and I was explaining to my student, I said, I have not changed my theory of short game any ever, but it is my goal every day to tell my message more clearly and more effective. So... The game remains the same. The ball's sitting on the ground and you're swinging a stick at it. The more efficiently you swing the stick, the more solid you hit the ball. And a big part of golf is once you make solid contact, you have to kind of be able to predict what's going to happen. So particularly in short game, when it comes to putting, you're reading the speed of the green, you're reading the slope. When it comes to chipping and pitching, you're reading the lie and the cleaner the lie, the better the strike, the more spin the ball and part the club puts on the ball. The, you know, if you're coming out of wet grass or long grass or uh, a situation where you can't get the face on the ball, you're not going to spin it as much. So your strategy changes based on the conditions. But making solid contact, that, that methodology in my mind doesn't change. It stayed the same. Then I watched a number of your putting videos recently, several taped with my last guest, Craig Can, when the two of you were on the Golf Channel together. And, and in those videos, you talked about making a fluid putting stroke, which is probably why I don't make as many putts as, as I should, because I'm sort of locked down with my wrists and my elbows 
trying to make a pendulum stroke job by just sort of rocking my shoulders. How should I be swinging the putter? Well, my first question when you're telling me you're rocking your shoulders is, I like to ask people, how talented are your shoulders? If, you, if you're going to do an activity that takes a lot of touch, I'm not sure your t- shoulders have that much touch. <laughs> but right. I, I can boil it down to uh, my friend Brandel Chambly called me a few months back and talked about he had studied the kind of lineage of putting instruction through the years. And he, he mentioned Horton Smith. And Horton Smith, another Missouri guy that happened to won the first Masters. And I have Horton Smith's book on putting. And in his book, written in about 1950, there's a quote from Sir W.G. Simpson, The Art of Golf, 1887. And it said, a good putting stroke can be made by combined use of all arm joints. And I think the key word there is use of, not restriction of arm joints. So my mentor, Mr. Lanning, told me to use what he called dead strength or or let the dead weight of the club create the energy of the stroke. And I use my arm joints in a fluid motion to let the dead weight or the pendulum drop itself. And I make sure that people understand I'm not talking about a loose grip. I grip it with authority, but my joints are free to swing. And that means my wrist, my elbow, and my shoulder joint on both arms are letting the club swing freely. I'm not saying my shoulders don't move, but they do not drive the stroke. And Stan, for those of us who struggle with developing feel and distance control on our putts from, say, 20, 30, 40 feet out, how do you teach your students to develop that feel? First off, I help them realize if if they're watching golf on TV, the majority of people that they see on TV, their follow-through is shorter than their backswing. Your listener did not know that. They need to start watching for that. And the reason I see that happening, I believe, is because the putter swings back big enough that they can allow the dead weight of the club to fall into the ball. And the ball, the, the, the contact with the ball is supposed to slow the club down. And I'm always teaching people that I feel like they're struggling with their distance control because they bought into this theory of through the ball. And it took me a while to figure out what through the ball means. Through the ball means the ball's already left the building. It doesn't do you any good. It only does you harm. And when you figure out that you just need to let the putter crash the ball and the follow-through is what it is, but you don't need to help it, I'm not saying stop the putter, but I'm saying allow the ball to impact the speed and the distance the putter follows through. And when you start finding what I call dead weight, the distance control really comes out of the length of the backswing. You swing back big enough to let the putter crash the ball and hit at different speeds, and, and you change speeds of the putter head simply to change distance. Shane, one more before I let you guys go. And, and one of the great things that I love about your website is is you talk about how to handle performing under pressure, whether that's in yes. a tournament, whether that's club level tournament, if that's in a junior tournament, or if that's just, you know, you going out and playing with your buddies and, and you're coming down to who's going to end up buying the beer at the end of the round. Talk about how you teach people to deal with that. Well, everyone's situation is a little different, obviously. Um, you know, pressure for Stan 
firing that 62 or winning a PGA Tour event might be a little different than uh, a nine-hole golfer you're trying trying to break 50 for the first time, something like that. So everyone's pressure is a little different. But something that I've come to believe in is that as a great athlete or champion, uh, they don't run from uh, the fire, meaning that uh, you get to that first tee, you've got those first tee jitters, you can feel the butterflies in your tummy, whatever the case is. Uh, most golfers want to run from that feeling. They want it to go away. Uh, if there's some special drink they could take and it would go away, they'd all probably do it. But but it doesn't happen that way. And I think that champions actually use that feeling to their benefit. Uh, champions, good players, or, or selling under the gun or under pressure, whatever that situation is for that player, is that they've, they've got that feeling. And what they realize is that the truth of the matter is this, <clears throat> is that when you have that feeling, what that means is that you're capable and and Chris, you'll know this. If you you ever, you ever taken a buddy of yours who's never played golf before, uh, maybe out on the golf course, and y'all get to a a par three and it's over water, and you you hand him a seven iron and say, you just try to hit it at that flag over there. And the guy walks up there and just smashes one, hits it over onto the green, and looks at you with this look on his face like, now what? <laughs> because he's got no he's got no concept of what what good is or what his ability level is to achieve that goal, right? And so right. he'd have the same look if he, if, if, if he hit it in the water, he'd look at you and go, okay, now what? And so what happens when you have that, that feeling and you want to use it to your benefit, the truth of the matter is you have that feeling because you are capable. If you're not capable of achieving what's in front of you, you literally will feel nothing. And so the fact that you have it is, is, it should give you a sense of confidence and say, Hey, I was waiting for this. I kind of need this. And now. Now, now I'm prepared and I got it. And this means I'm good enough to achieve what's in front of me. And here we go. So, uh, I think that when players run from that feel, uh, they get themselves in trouble. I think when players kind of realize why it's there and that they're capable of achieving it, use it to your benefit. Uh, you, you now have much better results. Shane, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing on your website and on social media as well. Uh, website, shanelebarongolf.com. Uh, LeBaron, just like the Chrysler LeBaron. And um, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at slebarongolf and on Twitter at LeBaronGolf. And Stan, for you, for our listeners that want to learn more about the, and tap into your genius on the short game and putting, how can they get a hold of you or stay up to date with what you're doing as well? Well, the the thing I'm most excited about is I have I have an app, app now called Stan Utley, so they can go to the App Store and download a Stan Utley app, and uh, it's a subscription-based app where they can watch me give video tips and interact on my app with me personally. They also can go to my website, just stanutley.com, if they're looking to book a lesson or come see me. And uh, I also have Twitter and Instagram that uh, just stanutley to follow what I'm doing and keeping up with my uh, day-to-day tips along the way. Well, Shane, Stan, I can't thank you both enough for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. Incredibly good to have you here. The, the information outstanding. And I hope uh, I can get uh, both of you to come back and join me again sometime soon. Chris, I'd love to do that. I, I appreciate all that you do and, and, and being such a big fan of golf and promoting golf. It's, uh, 
it, it's great to, to to play a small role here, and I'm I'm always thrilled to talk with you. I appreciate it so much. Wow, thank you very I've much. Had a, I've had a good time, Chris. Go ahead, Thanks sir. for having me on. Absolutely, thank you so much, Dan. Guys, take care. All the best to you and your families. I look forward to catching up with both of you soon. Thanks, Chris. Best to you. You take care. All right, you guys too. But that's the great Shane LeBaron and Stan Utley, folks. You want to talk about two of the best instructors on the planet from a short game perspective. I don't think it gets any better than than these two guys. And uh, check them out both out online and on social media. Stan's app is something I'm looking forward to downloading because when I went back and I looked at some of the great things that he did going back through the stuff with uh, with Craig Can, the, the instruction from a putting perspective, the the instructing from uh, from the you know, just kind of around the green, the chip shots perspective is absolutely outstanding stuff that, you know, now all of a sudden I look at it and now I, I'd say to myself, now I understand better why I was blading it. And, um, the orange whip with the wedge on the, on the bottom that, uh, that he inspired is, is a great training aid as well. So go check all of that out online and hopefully we get to get both of those guys back on the show again real soon. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of next on the team. My sincere thanks go out to Perry French. Craig Can, Shane LeBaron, and Stan Utley for joining me. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net. On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. You can also stream or download any of our archive episodes. We'd link back to our page back over on podcast.co. Those guys have been outstanding to us, as well as our friends over on Podbean. Can't thank them enough for featuring us right there in their golf section every week on their mobile app as well. You can also find the show on great sites like Launchpad, DM, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're all over the net. So please check us out on whatever your you know, favorite golf podcasting site is. Folks, until next week, can't thank you enough. Come back and join us. Hit him straight, my friends. Oh!